This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Toronto Today. Jim Taddy reporting for the next hour. And then it's gameplay with Matthew Cause and Al's brothers. They start out a hectic weekend ahead with all the lines and options and wherever you want to go in terms of wagering and, and edges and things like that. That's at 1 o'clock right now. We've got some stories to deal with. Our guest today, Barry Wilner from AP Football Writer, talking about the NFL weekend that is ahead. And certainly last night, Carolina 24-9 over Houston starts it off. And I have to say right off the top, uh, you know, we have been spoiled in the month of September uh, in terms of watching. Actually goes back into August and goes right back to the Olympics. In terms of night watching for sports on television, last night may have been the weakest of the entire run. I mean, I'm watching the Jays and the NFL Thursday nighter, and I had to resort to the music. Uh, not the vinyl room. The vinyl room is for heavy-duty therapy, but uh, I, had to, I had to have something uh, with some beat to it because the, these two games were, were tough to watch, although I don't want to take anything away from Carolina going 3-0 and in the season with the uh, injury to McCaffrey and about the emergence of Sam Darnold, and, and we'll get into that with uh, Barry Wilner later on. Bob Weeks will be by Ryder Cup. Uh, day one. It started uh, and since 1995. This is a startling stat, and, and we're going to sort of take a scalpel to, to why this happens. Since 1995, Team Europe is 9-3 and three against Team USA in this competition. Uh, before that, it was almost exclusively the American, and you know, it speaks to a couple of things, maybe a struggle on the American side in terms of the right chemistry, the right makeup um, on those teams. And also the emergence of European golf. So the, uh, kind of a story collides there, and it all goes one way. And we'll see what that means. Weeksy will be by at 1230. Uh, so we've got some ground to cover. CTV News reporting uh, just uh, a short while ago, uh, new sort of thresholds for attendance for sporting events. Uh, and it's expected to be confirmed. Well, it will be confirmed this afternoon. So CTV News reporting 50% for indoor sporting events with a max of 10K. So that means uh, 9,500 to 10K on hand for tomorrow night's uh, Leafs preseason opener. Leafs against the Habs at Scotiabank Arena. You can listen to that live here on TSN 1050. And the other one is 75% for outdoor sporting events with a max of up to 30,000 people. And uh, that means that the Jays are going to be able to cram 30,000 people in the ball yard uh, because it's considered an outdoor venue. So that's uh, that's encouraging uh, in terms of uh, you know getting back to some sort of normalcy in, in terms of sports attendance. So this is all to take effect tomorrow. Uh, and obviously this would affect the Jays series against the Yankees at the ball yard that starts Tuesday, goes Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The Jays are off Monday. We'll get into the Blue Jays story, the stumbling, uh, in a few minutes. So that is welcome news and, and a step back to normalcy on the road back that's long and winding to steal a, a popular song lyric. Anyway, at least training camp notes. Uh, so group one is, again, on the ice. They, they do it in two groups, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And I'm just going to go into my phone and find Kristen's uh, latest tweet. So uh, of note, uh, Kerfoot between Nylander and McKayev this morning, Brooks between Marner and Ritchie, and uh, Robertson uh, between Amadio and Spezza. And the reason we say that is obviously the centers are not the normal centers, but you could see some sort of uh, – 
chemistry may be trying to be knit together between the left side and the right side. Mikhaev Nylander, or Richie Marner, which has uh, had some good reviews already after one day. Robertson Spezza, maybe. And on the blue line, Riley Dermott, Dahlstrom Hall is, is the relevant uh, matchups uh, in terms of, again, developing chemistry for, for down the road. Um, so the uh, I guess the, the breaking story out of day one would be Keith, uh, uh, no, not Keith, Richie skating with Marner. And, and here is Coach Sheldon Keith talking about what he liked about what he saw there well potentials potential is strong you know but as i said there's great competition there there's a matter of other players competing for those spots but also just how the fit is you know and, and uh you know we like uh, some of the elements that nick can bring there in terms of his size and his skill set his ability to play around the net um, the physicality of course that he brings and the presence that he brings so we like a lot of those different elements, so we're going to look to, to give that some time uh, to grow and see how that goes. But as I said, we've got a lot of hungry people that uh, would love an opportunity to play there. Oh, absolutely. No shortage of, of people auditioning. So when you do the depth chart, and, and clearly, you know, out of this session, you see McKayab paired with Nylander and, and Richie with, with uh, Marner, as I said earlier. You've got Richie, Bunting, Kasha, Robertson also, and uh, and maybe McKayab. Uh, you know, the, these are intriguing possibilities. Let's just do some quick math here. There's five possibilities, really, for two spots. Um, and and I, it sounds like they have Robertson slotted in lower. So even four for two is is great competition, and, and it's welcome. I mean, you know, McKayev did the ultimate dodge on the uh, did you ask for a trade question yesterday. Could have been a political leader. He just sidestepped it. He just totally veered off and went down the other side of the road and, and didn't even answer the question. And that's okay. I mean, really, w- what you need to see out of him is if he could develop some chemistry with Nylander and, and be a factor, a top six factor. You know, I, w- I was talking to uh, somebody yesterday about this, that, you know, the, the, when you describe what McKayev brings to the table, and obviously there's an offensive void there. But think back to when Zach Hyman first joined the Leafs. And again, this was a thinner roster. But what kept him on the roster was his ability to play very hard and work very hard. He didn't have the offensive upside. In fact, some would have criticized him for being played too high in the roster at the start. But he eventually, through hard work, turned himself into a nice fit. And you're going to see this with Edmonton this year. A nice top six fit with the ability to play down if he had to. I mean, an all-purpose player with, with high uh, ability in terms of being able to to fit in with with the likes of Matthews and Marner. Now maybe maybe that's Mikheyev over a period of time. I don't know, but it, it's really up to him, and the opportunity is there. And so all you can really do when you're presenting yourself to players and you have openings on your roster, is say, here's what we need there. Do you think you can do that? And we're going to give you an opportunity. And we're going to work with you. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But I, I think I've said this before. What I like about the Leafs is the volume of numbers. And so you're not tied to just Richie working out. You've got other options here, and you have to feel like if you were doing a percentage here and you had five people playing for two jobs, you'd like to believe that two out of the five could actually fit in nicely. And that's all you need. At the end of the day, that's all you need. Is is the I shouldn't say all you need, but but really in terms of numbers, it's all you need. In terms of what happens on the roster, it would be fantastic. I mean, you'd absolutely love that, that two out of those five names – could play with Tavares and and Matthews and fit in and and make you uh, fondly remember Zach Hyman, but understand that uh, you know the gap has been filled in another way. That would be uh, utopia. There's no question about that. So, uh, in terms of other stories from the Leafs, uh, Spezza back and, and Coach Keith happy to have the veteran back. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, he, he's really established himself here, you know, in the last couple of seasons as a really key member of our leadership team. Um, and it's not just who he is and what he says and, what, and all those kind of things, but it's what he does every day, the work he puts in the offseason, uh, not just with the NHL players, but with our young prospects. The character that he has, the experience that he has, yeah, he's just a, a real great asset for for the coaching staff and for the team in general, and for the the team, you know, for the players that are, you know, navigating their way through their NHL careers. It's nice to have a guy like him, and then uh, you know, the other side of it, of course, is that you got to be able to play on the ice, and he's certainly proven he can do that as well, and has really established himself a real nice role with us. Oh, certainly. You like to see Jason Spencer back with the Leafs, and, and you just fondly remember how he was one of the better players on the ice, game in and game out in the playoffs. There was no quit in him, that's for sure, and, and he was trying to lead the way. Um, the other note is that Keith started with a grueling conditioning skate, and, you know, some people would, I guess, react negatively to that, but, I mean, Seriously, uh, you've got a lot of new people on your roster. You've got a, the, the rest of the people suffered through an embarrassing elimination to Montreal in the first round last year. What is the message? The message is work hard, and I think that was delivered with that uh, grueling skate to start it off. Uh, no negotiation here. We're going to work hard and see what happens. Jays are busy in Minnesota tonight, and I'm going to go through this later on. The script from this week, the, the, the four days from Monday to Thursday is a Twilight Zone script. I mean, the things that have gone wrong here, they've only won one game, but the things that have gone wrong here are, are pretty scary. Uh, not, not to say that it carries over to the weekend because, again, opportunity knocks. Uh, Boston has a two-game late in the wild card. The Yankees had the final spot. The Jays went out in the emerging story of Seattle uh, only two games out. So we'll map out the Jays' weekend very shortly. Let's talk football now, and we're going to bring in, uh, let's see here, our first guest will be Mr. Wilner from AP. Uh, Barry Wilner, how are you today, Barry? I'm doing well, guys. How are you guys doing? Very good, very good. So let's go through the, the Thursday night game, 24-9. Carolina goes to 3-0 and on the season, suffers a couple of injuries. Uh, but for me, and I'd like your take on this, the quarterback is the story for me. How do you see him projected over the course of the year? I think the quarterback is one of the stories in Carolina, and uh, Sam Darnold has gotten away from Adam Gaze, and that's probably one of the biggest reasons he's doing well in Carolina. Uh, but I think there's a lot more to that, what that team is doing. Their defense is playing lights out. In fact, they're, they're putting together some numbers that are almost historic. And they're, they're a very well-coached team. Matt Rule's only in his second season in Carolina, and you can already see the improvement that's been made uh, in Charlotte. So I think that people who root for the Panthers should be very optimistic. They have two, team, two pretty good teams in their division in uh, – obviously Tampa Bay and New Orleans. But when you get off to a 3-0 and start, you immediately become a contender. Yeah, I guess, you know, the McCaffrey entry could be, um, uh, well, it's going to be, it's going to leave a hole in the roster. Can they get by without him? Uh, that's a tough one because he's their best player, uh, at least on offense. Yeah. Uh, hopefully it's, it's not a torn hamstring that's saying strained, which means he probably could be back. Uh, maybe not for the next game, but a game beyond that. So I think one game or uh, two games, maybe they can survive. But they do need him as they move along down the stretch. 
Barry, so we're into week three, and there's a lot of teams that uh, certainly are, are different from week one to week two, some reversing and some moving forward. So I'm going to ask you your, your thoughts on some of these teams, like the Packers in week one, dreadful, and a great second half against Detroit on, on Monday Night Football. What, what's your take on the Packers? Are they okay now? Yeah, isn't that strange to see something like that where they basically didn't show up in week one, and then in week two they look like the old Packers. So. Uh, I think we'll find out a lot about the Packers this week against San Francisco. The Niners are a very good team that has had the Packers number recently. And um, I think that uh, Aaron Rodgers, that annoys him because he's from Northern California. I think we may see a pretty good effort out of him, but it's against a really good defense. The good thing for the Packers is I think that division, the NFC North, is very weak. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers – could win that division at say 10 and 7 although i think they'll probably have a better record than that and the flip side of that story would be the saints dynamite in week one and, and not so dynamite in week two and they're in new england against the patriots what's your read on, on new orleans uh, my read is if they can't protect Jameis winston they're going to have problems because he's uh the kind of quarterback who makes some bad decisions under stress and I think he's going to be under stress in this game at New England. New England's got a pretty good defense. Um, that said, I think if the Saints can get healthy, they've got a bunch of uh, key injuries on both sides of the ball. And remember, they're without Michael Thomas, who's probably their best offensive player, along with Alvin Kamara, who at least is, is healthy. I think the Saints should right the ship. But you really have to be worried when you see a team, as you mentioned, going – from such a great performance in their opener to such a dud in their second game. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of examples, and, and there's a number of examples of people starting out stumbling and, and doing well, and the Buffalo Bills would fit that, totally stymied by the Steelers, going to Miami and rip the Dolphins and now come home to play Washington. I mean, is, is Buffalo, has, has, the, has the roar been restored? The funny thing is a lot of the comments you hear coming out of Buffalo is that they weren't all that satisfied with how they played in that 35 nothing win. And I'll tell you guys, I'll take a 35 nothing win every day of the week. Um, I think that the Bills are one of those teams uh, that are going to build throughout the season. I think they're going to get better as the season goes along. You know, the weather helps them as we get into November and December. Uh, teams can say, when they go to Buffalo, they're not um, concerned about it, but they are. And uh, I, I think the Bills remain one of the top three teams in what's a really strong AFC. I don't think the NFC is very strong, but the AFC is. There's a couple of matchups here that just jump off the page. Bucks in L.A. against the Rams. Both 2-0. and I mean, you know, when you watch the Bucks, it's like watching um, some sort of a programmed uh, video game because they just do everything right at, at the right time, and then the Rams are, are an emerging story. This is an intriguing game for me. How do you see it? I think it's a very intriguing game, and uh, it's a kind of a matchup of the two best teams in the league right now. I think most people will say they believe that those are the top two teams through the first two weeks. Uh, I think this game's going to come down to um, – whether the defense for the Rams, which is quite good, can get um, Tom Brady off balance, uh, can stop that offense that the uh, Bucks have uh, really produced with over the la- over the first two weeks, and of course, 
you know, the confidence level that the Bucks have is, is sensational. Uh, they all like the coach. They all like the quarterback. This isn't the same situation like we had in New England where um, there, there was a lot of, you know, discord, even though they kept the team together to win championships. This is kind of a kumbaya team, the, the Bucks, and I don't think anything bothers them. But I do not think that this will be the best game of this weekend, and I and I think the Rams do have a good shot at winning it. I mean, the Bucks are are must watch. Uh, aside from Brady, and who's just uh, marvelous to watch, and you know that he's going to come up with the play. But but it's the complimentary football that you get. Uh, you know whether it's pick sixes. Uh, you just don't know who's going to make the contribution, but you're confident it's going to be somebody, aren't you? With the Bucks, I think that's true on both sides of the ball. They're very deep at receiver. Uh, they lose. They may lose Antonio Brown this weekend uh, because he tested positive for COVID nineteen, but I don't think that's a, a major step backward in any way. And that's a defense that's going to get better as the season moves along. Uh, anyone who thinks that the Bucks are not the team to beat uh, is wrong. This is this is a, a team that has brought back everybody. And like you said, it, it's just kind of a I won't say it's a joy to watch. But it's very intriguing to watch how just how good they can be and how everybody contributes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if, if you go through all the sports and, and you have this team that's on top, you're always intrigued to find out how they're going to come up with a solution because all the other teams don't don't seem to be able to do that and you know and in varying degrees but you are confident when you watch the Bucks and that is you know if you're selling entertainment that's what you want to buy right. Yeah, and that's one reason that we see the Bucks on national TV so often. Uh, I don't think you're going to see too many games this year where the Bucks have a small TV audience. And, you know, it, another thing is watching uh, Brady at, at age 44 is just something that people want to do. And that I don't think there's too many neutral people. I think a lot of people rooting for him and a lot of people rooting against him. But, you know, you can't take your eyes off of what he's uh, doing and how he's performing. I totally agree with that, and, and the the matchup is Brady against Stafford. And our listeners know I'm a lifelong suffering Lions fan, so I'm, I'm intrigued to watch Stafford develop and grow, as as opposed because he didn't have much to work with in Detroit. Uh, from the first two games that you've seen him play with the Rams, how different is he from that Detroit Lions guy? Um, I think his confidence level is very high in what he's got around him, and he never really had that in. Um, in Detroit, uh, the Rams don't have the greatest running game right now because of some injuries, and that means that Stafford is going to be relied upon, but he's got the receivers to uh, connect with. He has a pretty good offensive line. He just looks so comfortable, and uh, that's a really tough division. When you think about it, all four of those teams could make the playoffs, you know, with the expanded playoffs, and the Rams are going to need to be – uh, on top of the game every week because when they play within the division or they play teams like the Bucks, those are very tough games. So I, I think I could talk you into the the Bucks getting into the Super Bowl. Can I talk you into KC reappearing, or does somebody get in the way? Oh, it's way too early. Let's talk about that in December. But as I said before, <laughs> the AFC is just so much better than the NFC. I compare it to um, – in college football here in the States where the AFC is like the Southeastern conference 
and the NFC is like Conference USA. It's just uh, such a uh, difference in, in in strength of teams. So the road for Kansas City to get there is a lot tougher than the road for the Bucks. I just want to go back to the Packers. Uh, do you feel that the Aaron Rodgers story is is now dissipated, or will it come back after every Packer loss? Uh, it's going to come back even after some Packers win because uh, the uncertainty of where Aaron Rodgers is going to be next season is not going to go away, and nor uh, is Rodgers going to answer any sort of uh, or reveal anything uh, in that area. He, My guess is that uh, this will be his last season in Green Bay, no matter how it ends up. And I also think that there'll be quite a market for him. And, you know, here's a thought for you guys. I'd like to hear what you think about it. I wouldn't be stunned if um, uh, Brady was to uh, retire after this year. I mean, he's going to be 45 next year. That Aaron Rodgers would wind up in Tampa Bay. Oh, that is, <laughs> that's a 10 bell reference. I, I like that. I, I just, I, I guess the only problem I would have with it, are you sure Brady retires after this year? That that would be the only glitch in it for me. <laughs> well, you know, if they win the Super Bowl again, nobody's ever won three straight Super Bowls. So that certainly would be enough incentive for Brady to come back and play again next year. But if he was to retire, which I could see happening, I would not be stunned. I don't think anybody should be stunned to see Tampa Bay go after Aaron Rodgers. Oh, I, that, I think that's a great story. And you could actually see him performing on that team. I mean, that's <laughs> that's great. So let's go from the riches of, of Aaron Rodgers and, and, and Brady to the Jets, the quarterback, Wilson. I mean, he, uh, this is a tough situation as it was for Darnold. And, and, you know, the Jets are sort of a quarterback graveyard. How do you see that story developing? I think the Jets are one of the two or three worst teams in the league, but I like the coach. I like the general manager. I think they will eventually head in the right direction. But their fans, and you mentioned being a uh, long-suffering uh, fan of the Lions, uh, they're mm. probably the worst franchise they have been than the Jets have been. But the Jets are not going to win more than two or three games, I don't think, this year. So it's all about progress. They need to keep him upright. They need to keep Wilson healthy. Uh, they need to get a better offensive line, and I don't know if that's happening during the season. Um, and just try to make some progress, uh, and then uh, you know, move on from there. Uh, the Jets are a few years away, and of course they were a few years away when they had Darnold too. Yeah, a few years away from being a few years away is is a Toronto Raptors reference. But anyway, let's. I just want to end on my Lions, just because as as I read the ESPN uh, headlines this morning. Detroit Lions linebacker Jamie Collins didn't report to practice facility yesterday, and, and they're trying to trade him. So, uh, you know, I, I just, when I watch the Lions, as much as I like Dan Campbell, uh, I just think it's a volatile situation. They were trying that fourth and, and one against the Packers very early in the second half, which made no sense to me, and it, it didn't work out. And, and now you're trying to trade a linebacker because there's obviously a, a, a disagreement there. I mean, this, this situation to me could blow up. How about you? It, well, that could always happen when a veteran player is unhappy and you're looking to shop him. But I think the Lions need, need to know, and I think they do know, they have to play their young guys. They're not going anywhere this year. Uh, they've, they've actually shown some uh, offensive uh, firepower at times. 
defense has been miserable. Uh, I think they just have to uh, recognize and continue on the path of playing their young guys. Barry, really appreciate your time. Thanks very much. I know you got a split. you got a podcast to do. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That's Barry Wellner, AP football writer, uh, going over the NFL card uh, on the weekend. So we're going back to the Thursday nighter for some sound. 24-9 Carolina over Houston. Panthers go to 3-0. and And uh, Christian McCaffrey goes out with an injury. And here's the quarterback, Sam Darnold, on losing Christian and, and how difficult it's going to be. Losing Christian's tough. I mean, he's he's you know, a great player. Um, so, you know, I really thought Chuba and Royce, when they got in there after that, did a really great job, you know. But, yeah, you know, losing Christian's tough, but I thought we did a good job of bouncing back. And, um, you know, in that second half, we were kind of able to put that first half behind us and really do a good job in that second half. Okay, so 3-0 and for the Panthers, but a couple of players short, and, and we'll see what that means going forward. Uh, let's return to the Jays' situation before we break and bring in Bob Weeks to talk about the, Riders Cup, uh, the Ryder Cup. Uh, so the Jays have three more in Minnesota, and I was just going over my notes, and I'm reading Steve, uh, Steve Phillips on tsn.ca saying, in the final nine games, and they all have nine left, uh, the Jays must go 6-3. and three. We had Rob Longley on from the Sun yesterday, and he was talking about a seven-game run that would include all the Minnesota series and the Yankee series and he wanted them to go five and two so obviously they're they're oh and one and just a not a great trip through the starting rotation uh, pitching this week but that happens uh, and I'll detail later on you know the the complete twilight zone script that is Monday to Thursday for the Blue Jays but so they get Minnesota and uh, again they're in Minnesota for the weekend Barrios tonight Ray and then Manoa on Sunday to wrap it up off Monday. So here's the situation. The Jays uh, are on the outside. Boston is a two-game lead over the Yankees. Boston and the Yankees play each other at Fenway um, this weekend for three games starting tonight. And uh, we have the game tonight on on, uh, I'm just going to, yeah, TSN 2 has it tonight. Yankees at Boston. You can watch it on TSN 2. So before I get off track, uh, Seattle has come out of nowhere and sits a game behind uh, the Jays. And, and so uh, the Jays, uh, sorry, Seattle this weekend is busy in Anaheim. And then Seattle comes home to play Oakland and Anaheim again. That's their final schedule. The Yankees' final schedule in Boston on the weekend, at Toronto for three, and then against Tampa for three. Boston's final schedule, again, against the Yankees on the weekend, at Baltimore for three, at Washington for three, and the Jays in Minnesota this weekend, at home to the Yankees for three, and then at home to Baltimore for three. So, I mean, there's an opportunity this weekend again, depending on what Seattle does, but the Jays have control here. Three games in Minnesota, while Boston and the Yankees uh, go at each other, and, and and really what you want to have happen is Boston winning because uh, you know, they're, they're three games ahead of the Jays right now, and the Yankees are only one ahead. So you want the Yankees to get beat up so when the Yankees and Jays play early next week in front of 30,000 people that you know all of a sudden the, it tips in the Jays' favor. Uh, it tipped in the opposite direction, certainly last week, and we'll detail that after we speak uh, Ryder Cup with Bob Weeks next. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, live in your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on-demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Now, back to Toronto Today. I said it was negative. I said it was different. Like I said, I've never played any of these team events. I didn't play Walker Cup, didn't play Junior Ryder Cup, never played anything. So I said it's different, and that doesn't mean it's bad. Y'all spun it that way. 
Brooks Kepka setting the record straight. Different, not bad. Uh, welcome to Toronto today. Welcome back to Toronto today. Jim Taddy reporting till one and gameplay with Matthew Cosinell's brother takes over until overdrive until Argonaut football against Montreal live on TSN 1050. Let's bring in Bob Wal- Bob Weeks. Wow, Bob Weeks, TSN senior reporter and golf analyst, co-host of Golf Talk Canada, an all-around good guy and, and very uh, very welcoming. Bob, how are you today, sir? I'm good, Je- I mean, Je- Jim, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where. I don't know where I was going there, but it is Friday. Okay. Yep. <laughs> you know, I had to, I had to swerve. <laughs> ABS brakes are marvelous when you, you have them on your brain. Uh, so, I mean, Ryder got a bit of a soft this morning, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the Americans, uh, Americans jumped out to a 3-1 lead, and really, uh, aside from Rahm and, and Garcia, the European team was, was a little lack lacking in, uh, in, in, in points on the board, but uh, those two guys were studs. And uh, I think you look at uh, what Cantlay and Shoffley did to uh, McElroy and Poulter, they won the first five holes and then kind of never really looked back. But uh, it's big, you know, it's big for the U.S. side because obviously you want to get out to an early lead in this thing, and it's big because they don't usually do well in this format, which is the alternate shot or properly called the foursomes. Uh, their record in that has is, is never been all that great. So this is a this is a good leg up for for a U.S. team that's really largely made up of of um, guys who haven't been around the Ryder Cup before. There's six guys on here playing their first time. Well, I, and I kind of like that. You know, I I used to equate putting Team USA together for the Ryder Cup would have been like the early stages of Team Canada in hockey. There's just so many names. But you have to you have to pick uh, using the right chemistry and, and based on you know the competition there there's a pretty specific competition in, in the events and and having said that the uh, I guess the albatross for the Americans is uh, you know there's a lot of great golfers and sometimes it's hard to say no isn't it? It, it is and you know they've they've actually gone to uh, to some pretty deep thinking in how they pick the teams I mean some of them are obvious obviously but they had six captains picked this time. And they used uh, a lot of analytics, actually, to determine which players would play well in these formats, which players would gel well together. Um, and, and, you know, even after they got the 12 players lined up, they sort of went through things like, you know, who uses the same golf ball in, in alternate shot. That can be a big thing. And that's probably why we didn't see Bryson DeChambeau playing this morning, because he uses a golf ball that no one else on the tour uses. And it might be something difficult for him to, to switch his golf ball. So, um, there's a lot that goes into selecting the team. There's a lot that goes into uh, assembling the, the duos that go out of these first uh, four matches. Uh, and, and, you know, they, I guess they came to this realization through a lot of pain. As I detailed earlier, since 1995, Team Europe is 9-3. and three, And the American uh, story is, is a major frustration, isn't it? It definitely is. You know, they they generally speaking bring the twelve better players than the European team, but they don't seem to be able to to, to play that well as a team. And I think in a lot of cases, you know, it's um, there's something to the fact that the the Euros have a lot less to lose and a lot more to win. In that sense, that they they realize it's nothing nothing better than kicking a little U.S. butt when you can when you get the opportunity to do it. And I think they come in kind of as the underdogs more often than not. Um, and, and that gives them a little bit more team spirit. I think the guys generally speak, I mean, it used to be that they all lived in Europe and played in Europe and, uh, and played the, the tour together where those kind of guys would spend a lot more time together. Now, you know, I think, I think just about everybody on both sides lives in Florida or, or Texas or Sea Island, Georgia now. So there's that part of it is gone. 
Um, but I do think the there's a tight there seems to be a tighter bond in past Ryder Cups between the European team than the American team. That might be changing a little bit now with these these new players who've been added this time around, who are who have grown up playing golf together, grown up you know playing college golf together, playing uh, on on mini tours together. So uh, I think the that advantage that the Europeans had might be gone. Um, and talk about Whistling Straits in Wisconsin, the, the course. Uh, does that force uh, maybe different selection or not? It can. You certainly want to try and uh, tailor it as best you can, I think, or, or take advantage of, of what your team brings you. I mean, uh, Whistling Straits is a big beast of a course. It looks kind of like a Lynx course, but it does not play anything like a Lynx course. you got to fly everything to the hole. Uh, there's wind that comes off Lake Michigan. We saw some of that in the opening round this morning, the, playing a part of it. There's, uh, I mean, a ridiculous amount of bunkers, only about 80%, well, but 80% of them are, are kind of out of play, but they deceive you a little bit visually. We remember Dustin Johnson a number of years ago at the PGA Championship, not even realizing he was in a bunker and grounded his club and got a penalty. Uh, but the one thing that the home team can do, Steve Stricker did this, is, is kind of set up the golf course a little bit more to, to your team's advantage. So the U.S. team, generally speaking, are longer hitters. So the rough is down a little bit, and, and some of the uh, the tee blocks on some of the drivable par fours have moved up. So guys like Bryson DeChambeau and uh, uh, Dustin Johnson can, can reach that green in, in one, perhaps, in certain cases. And maybe the European team doesn't have as many players who can do that. So there's a lot of tinkering that goes on uh, behind the scenes to try and get as many advantages as you can. Now, I saw your hit on SportsCenter last night, and you were trumpeting Spieth and Thomas, and it didn't work out. What what happened there? <laughs> yeah, I thought those guys were going to be <laughs> a lot better. They've had a pretty good record going in into uh, to, to Ryder Cups and Presidents Cups. You know, they're uh, they're they're fast friends. They've played together for a long time since they were kids. Uh, and Justin Thomas is generally speaking long and straight off the tee, and, uh, and Jordan Spieth is really good around the greens. But this morning they ran into buzzsaw with. Uh, Sergio Garcia and John Rahm and John Rahm I mean his putting was extraordinary he uh, he drained I don't know how many putts from outside 15 20 feet today they kept it in and Sergio had some good ball striking especially on some of the par threes so uh, just a matter of uh, I think you know in some cases you could say those are the two top teams that were out there this morning and made they may meet again before this is all done uh, just going by the the visuals I mean big big crowd is could that even be a factor Definitely. You know, this is the one time, one golf event uh, where, where it's us versus them. You're, you're cheering for your, you're not cheering for a player, you're cheering for your side. And the, the fans uh, were packed into the stands at 6 a.m. this morning before it was light. <laughs> I'm sure it was freezing cold. Uh, and they were cheering their teams on. It's, you know, I'll tell you, Jim, having covered a number of Ryder Cups, it's a terrible event if you don't want to actually watch some golf because there's 40,000 people following four groups on the golf course. So it's not like there's a lot to see out there. You've got to cram yourself in. Uh, but they are motivated and they are cheering loud. And we, there were a couple of, of uh, off-base off cheers this morning, someone yelling, get in the water, one of the Europeans uh, hit. And, and the Europeans were booed when they got up onto the first tee. I think most of it was good-natured. But, but I think if you're the away team, you, you kind of expect that. You just hope it doesn't go too far over the line. Well, and the Europeans would say, check in on Sunday. You know, that, that that's <laughs> yeah. happened before many, many times. So how do, you, how do you see the rest of this unfolding? Well, they're going to go out this afternoon, and uh, we haven't heard exactly what the, uh, what the pairings are going to be. But 
Um, I, I, you know, I think the Europeans really need to, to at, at best or at worst, I should say, get a half out of the uh, out of the next four matches, which will be all, uh, which will be better ball this afternoon, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. We're gonna we expect to see Bryson DeChambeau out there alongside Scotty Scheffler to see what he can do to this golf course. Uh, we'll see who if just uh, Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth go out again, uh, maybe try uh, try and even up their record. So. Uh, there's still a lot to play for, and, and you just hope it's – as a fan, you just kind of hope it's close going into those singles on Sunday. I mean, I really like the format. It's so ungolf like You don't know who's playing. and you know, I mean, it has it has a regular pro sports feel to it in that, the, you know, the lineup and, and the adjustments and, and the team play. It, it's kind of intriguing. Well, it's more than kind of intriguing. It's, it's fascinating to watch, isn't it? It really is, you know, and I uh, I love the uh, I love the different format. I love the fact that these players you can sense that these players are feeling pressure that they normally wouldn't feel when they're out there. You you can see them, uh, you know, thinking over every shot, and you don't want to a you don't want to let your partner down, but uh, but also you know the the crowd and the importance and the team element of it, and you're playing for your either your continent or your or your country uh it's just so different from anywhere else and and you know the even though you have first timers a guy like colin morikawa who hasn't played in the Ryder cup before and but he's won a he's won a uh, an open championship uh, and, and the pga championship already and he's thought, talked about the nerves on the first tee this morning you know they were they were they were tingling so uh the crowd feels it the the players feel it the television watchers feel it and it's just kind of a fun different event to uh to take in uh, what do you think? Like, do you have a prediction? And, and you know, keeping in mind that uh, in the past we've seen massive rallies from almost elimination to winning. I mean, it, it can be fairly volatile, can it? Yeah, it certainly can. It, it can go back and forth in a hurry. You know, you, you look at it three-one right now for the U.S. You think, okay, well they're out in front now, but uh, you know, you could have a sweep in the afternoon by the Euros. You could have uh, anything go go. And you, we've even seen big tur- big turnarounds. Um, on the in the singles day, we remember back to Medina a few years back when when the Europeans rallied and and won I think uh, nine of twelve matches or something to to come from behind. So uh, this thing is never over until it's over, and and every one of these players realizes that we've we've seen comebacks on both sides. So um, you know it's 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 a it's hard to kind of set yourself down and just say okay let's just wa- wait a minute that's one round gone it's only four points on the board we need 14 and a half to win this thing so uh, we got a long way to go yet before before things are going to be settled now think back to uh, either when you were there covering or, or or just watching your favorite Ryder cup moment uh you know i remember remember i think it was at medina when the europeans did have the big rally and i remember going out to watch them celebrate <laughs> my cameraman and i mark but Mark Millette, we're, we're out there, and we were just worried about getting sprayed with champagne on his expensive camera. But to see the joy of these guys coming from so far back to rally uh, and, and guys like Ian Poulter and Martin Keimer, you know, sinking these dramatic putts down the end. And the ebb and flow of that afternoon was just just remarkable. I've never seen anything like it in golf before. And, um, you know, it was it, it was kind of good to see the Americans handed their hat a little bit, but it was uh, it was just the overall – um, grandeur of the event and the final day that really sticks in my mind. Bob, thanks very much. Enjoy your weekend. Okay, Jim, take care. Thank you. That's Bob Weeks, TSN senior reporter, golf analyst, co-host of Golf Talk Canada. And uh, 
very gracious reporter. I, you know, I, I think back to all the things that he was talking about that he liked. It really reminds me of a team sport, and, and golf is so, well, not totally solitary because you have your caddy with you, uh, not like tennis where you're just out there. But still, I mean, it's, it's a team concept and very enjoyable, and you see a side of the golfers in competition and uh, before and after a match that you don't normally see. And I always welcome that because it just it sort of gives you the, the realistic view of who these guys really are, who these people really are. And sometimes when you're, you're stuck with the just uh, the, 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 the straight-ahead analysis, you don't really get the humanity. And, uh, you know, they, they obviously have that to offer. So intriguing stuff, 3-1 for the Americans in the morning and afternoon action and a busy weekend. You can watch it, of course, on TSN as well. Coming up next, we're going to do that Twilight Zone script for the Jays and, and other stories. A couple of items from sports business that I think you might find intriguing. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, live on your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio app. Now, back to Toronto Today. Final segment, final day of the week. Yes, the weekend is here. Toronto Today, Jim Taddy reporting till 1. Then it is gameplay with Matthew Cosinell's brother. Uh, by the way, uh, a note on what happens on overdrive today. John Tavares will be by an overdrive at 4.05. And today in the captain's chair, Andy Petrillo with O-Dog and Noodles. So we welcome Andy back. And, and while we're on that subject, Leafs lunch will return before the start of the Leafs season. So it's on its way back. Uh, so let's deal with the Leafs and Habs Saturday live here on TSN 1050. News from the Habs camp yesterday that five players, including Price and Hoffman, one of the key off-season acquisitions, and Paul Byron all failed their physicals. And here is Noodles on managing Price's return from surgery. A big picture, he just turned 34. They played until June 30th, uh, deep into the Stanley Cup final. He has an off-season surgery, and it's all about managing your number one goaltender. Uh, gone are the days that he's going to play 65 to 70 games. That's the reason why you go and sign uh, a guy like Jake Allen, who is a really good 1A goaltender. I'm looking at him to almost split games this year with the Montreal Canadiens. And you throw in one other extra wrinkle in that he wants to be the starting goaltender for Team Canada. So it's going to be a long season. Uh, they knew about it. They're going to manage it and make sure that he's 100%, not only for the Montreal Canadiens games, but to play for Team Canada trying to go for gold here. So I'd play the long game with Carey Price. I wouldn't be too worried about it, but you make sure that he's 100% before he starts playing, uh, playing games for the Montreal Canadiens. That is Noodles on Carey Price on That's Hockey with our good friend Gino Retta yesterday. Price expected to be ready for the start of the regular season. Hoffman remains doubtful, so this is a sort of a situation that we'll see as it develops. Updates from the Leafs camp today. According to Jonas Siegel, Austin Matthews back handling the puck this morning, so that's sooner than expected. Uh, he re would remain on the IR and don't know exactly when he gets into preseason games, but they say he's projected to be ready for the start and uh, that'll be October 13th again against Montreal at Scotiabank Arena and again as tomorrow night's preseason opener the regular season opener live here on TSN 1050 um, and from Kristen we have after missing yesterday's camp activities for personal reasons Wayne Simmons is on the ice with the Leafs group two teammates so the second group on the ice and, and just so that you, you sort of understand that down the middle in the first group not the regular centers although Kerfoot may end up uh, having to, to backfill for somebody at some point. You certainly will see him centering a uh, uh, top six uh, situation during the course of the 
preseason games, but it's more or less the left winger and the right winger that, that sort of sticks to the wall. So McKayev and Nylander, Richie and Marner, Robertson and, and Spezza. And uh, to that end, Jason Spezza speaking yesterday on Nick Robertson. I've watched him a little bit in rookie camp, and he looks uh, obviously quick, and he can score goals. I think for Robbie, a, a big thing is you know playing within the structure of the team, uh, you know using his line mates. I think that's the next step for him. We all know the physical tools are there. He's a great kid. He's got a great mindset. He wants to work really hard. He wants to learn, and sometimes he's got to uh, you know use the guys around him. And I think we'll help him with that. But he's going to be a great asset for us, and uh, you know I enjoy him as a guy. He's, I, I appreciate how hard he works and how bad he wants it. And, Sometimes uh, you know he has to just slow down and use you know use everybody around him. I know there's good players with him, and I think he'll learn that. So uh, I'm happy for him that, that he had a good rookie camp, and we're going to help him here in camp to have him put his best foot forward. So it's going to be great to to watch things develop on this roster, and there are plenty of uh, areas for development, and that's not a shot. It's It sort of speaks to the volume of people that have opportunity and opportunity knocks. So I want to thank Bob Weeks for stopping by earlier, and I forgot to do this, so I'll do this now. The Golf Report is brought to you by your Ontario Subaru dealers. Pick your favorite Subaru at the Adventure Picking event that is on right now. So I'm going to veer off on a sort of a sports business tangent. You've got about four minutes left. Washington Capitals announced today that uh, they will team up with Caesars Entertainment Incorporated and have agreed on a multi-year partnership that places Caesars Sportsbook logo on their jerseys worn for home games beginning in the 22-23 NHL season. So that is more revenue and, and really quite frankly there's a couple of things that will drive all this stuff forward it, it, it's you know based on the lack of revenue or regular revenue over the last two years obviously you would you would now approach this as things that were going to happen you would you would hit the fast forward button on them so these are home games uh, they will try to develop another sponsor for road games as this moves forward and this will be every NHL team they already do this in the NBA it's a little sort of square that goes on the jersey it was already on practice jerseys i think it was on helmets uh, as well so uh, you know this is another way to develop more revenue and to that end uh, according to pierre lebrun earlier this week uh, board of governors meeting uh, washington again the capitals talked about their success with the in arena sports book and a lot of ears perked up uh, and so again that's uh, of course due to different state and provincial legislations uh, but this is another form of revenue that will it's not you know these things aren't really like adding to the revenue list that the sports book thing is going to drive things forward there's no question about that so it's going to be intriguing to track that as we move along pierre lebron also sent out a note saying unsigned rfas peterson um, and uh, peterson sorry hughes and kachuk all skating in michigan while they await their contract situations to get resolved and of course peterson and hughes in vancouver and brady kachuk in Ottawa, these are big, big signings, and the bar's already set. We're talking big dollars here, but uh, we'll see. Dollars in term. Um, and then there's the Patrick Lyonet story out of Columbus yesterday who struggled last season after that trade with Winnipeg. I, I think both teams were, were sort of scratching their heads with what they got. He had 10 goals and 21 points in 45 games. And here's his line. I don't think I need to prove anything anymore. I think I've proved already what I could do in this league, scoring over 40. It's not an everyday thing for a lot of guys in this league. I know I, I've done that already, so I don't think I'm in that position anymore where I have to prove anything to anybody. And before I answer that, I have to pre preface this by saying this is in response 
to a question. I mean, I might look at that answer and say, well, you don't have to prove anything to anybody, but you do have to prove it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to be the best you can be. And if that's 35 goals, then that's fine. If it's 45, that's fine. But you are always under the obligation to do your best, to be the best that you can be within the framework of, of being on a team. So while we're talking about teams, we're going to close off with the Jays situation in Minnesota. The starting rotation for them will be Barrios, Ray, and Manoa. Opportunity knocks for them because the Boston Red Sox are hosting the Yankees this weekend. Heavy leanage on the Red Sox because the Jays are only a game behind the Yankees and three behind Boston. And then you have to worry about pesky Seattle, who is on a nice roll and in L, uh, sorry, yeah, in L.A., Anaheim, against the Angels this weekend and then come back at home, Seattle does, to play Oakland and the Angels again. Bottom line is it was uh, not a picture-perfect week for the Jays. In fact, their worst week in quite some time. It started with Data Card Gate, followed up by Aqua Under the Bridge, which was hit with a no guy, followed by hit by pitch, followed by uh, Jays losing the series in Tampa, followed by Baraki getting suspended, followed by Montoya getting suspended, uh, following by a, another bad outing last night, followed by let's see what happens on the weekend. I mean, literally, if you, if you put this down point by point by point, you would have a Twilight Zone script, and let's hope the script ends and shifts in the right direction tonight. Uh, for the Argonauts tonight on TSN 1050 at 730 at home to Montreal, we've got the Yankees at Boston on TSN 2, Labor Cup Tennis on TSN 5, Horse Race on TSN 3. So that is a full night of sports action on TSN and TSN 1050. Gameplay is next.